politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, scorned American patriots, to the one and only Conservative Review podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back in the house for Wednesday, August 5th. And let me tell you guys, the world is coming to an end. You see, I have gotten the great big cold from my son and my wife. I do have a cold and a sore throat. And boy, is it annoying to do so much radio, podcasting, TV in one day with a sore throat. But what's even worse is that I can't go anywhere because everyone will think I have the plague. So we're going to talk about that a little later, how the new threshold for panic is quite literally the common cold and how we get out of that. But I want to talk about the elections last night and really the elections every Tuesday primary that we have. What is it going to take for you guys to recognize that you as common sense conservatives, even if you don't call yourself a conservative, but a patriot, have no place in the Republican Party? You have as much of a place in the Republican Party as in the Democrat Party. Every single time, the industries, the special interests, they get their man every time. There is no such thing as a red state. You see it all over. You see it in the elections and the primaries, the dirtbags getting elected, getting nominated for House, Senate, Governor. You see it in the policies, how no matter how far to the left and Marxist and anarchist the Democrats get, the Republicans not only fail to provide a bold contrast, but actually enable and fuel those policies with the legislation and budget bills they're concocting and negotiating this week. You see it with the Republican governors like Mike DeWino mandating in Ohio masks on all kids, all kids in school, despite the incontrovertible unanimous position of state and federal governments for decades that they don't help. And that, in fact, they make the lungs work harder, but still don't circle cycle out harmful particles like smoke inhalation, which is, by the way, 10 times larger than SARS-CoV-2 virus particles. But then we have even in Mississippi, the state of Mississippi, Governor Tate Reeves. He was one of the big rhinos that undermined Chris McDaniel when he ran against Dad Cochran. He's also mandating masks. In, In Mississippi, we have nowhere to go. And then we have at the top, at the White House, just one big dumpster fire. Endorses all these rhinos, endorses their policies, but signals to the public that he kind of is in the other way. So dips our gold in feces, misrepresents our position, and we're left with nothing. I mean, imagine if you had Democrats in charge of the White House now. At least the Republican states would push back against this. Now it's kind of like the worst of all worlds. Where do you and I turn? So obviously, you know what I'm referencing. Last night, the Uber Rhino, this guy Marshall, congressman from Kansas, defeated Chris Kobach in the primary for Senate. And we've talked about this before. But I mean, last night, every single Rhino won. Martha McSally in in Arizona, and she's going to lose that seat in the general election. She's already painting Arizona blue like Greg Abbott and John Cornyn have painted 
Texas Blue. And we have nowhere to turn. And Trump endorses the rhino every time. He was actually going to endorse Marshall. Ted Cruz evidently convinced him to stay out of it. But he certainly wasn't going to endorse Kobach. Now, I want to dispel a myth here. A lot of people are saying, well, Daniel, well, isn't it the voters that rejected Kobach? I mean, look, it was the voters, right? Let me tell you something. There's two things playing out here. One thing is in general, and one thing is specific to this race. But it really applies to many other races. People like Marshall, first of all, I want you to understand who he is. So a lot of these people are like, well, Daniel, um, you know, these like thumbsucker, like pseudo conservative intellectuals that write a national review, those type of people like, well, you know, Kobach was a racist and I don't like that, that brand. I want a smart, sensible, fiscal conservative. Well, first of all, they don't because they somehow they never join me in militating against the trillion dollar bills that bankrupt us more than anything, distort our markets and everything. Somehow I'm the only one who fights against that. Um, so it's kind of interesting. But this guy, Marshall, he defeated, with the help of the ag whores and the industries, Tim Hulescamp for Congress, one of our best congressmen in recent memory, who was a fiscal conservative and voted against the farm bills. Somehow they don't remember that. Marshall represents the worst of the Republican Party. That ag industry that is turning beautiful counties in Kansas into MS-13 and Somalia because they need their cheap labor and they import them, turn rural America into garbage dumps, which we've talked about a lot last year. All the problems that they bring into rural America just to get lettuce and tomatoes five cents cheaper. And then they also have destroyed family-owned farms with the Obamacare of agricultural policy with these farm bills. Market distortions galore, subsidies galore. This is what people don't understand. You can't win in a haunted house. I could write a book on this. I've tried. That's why I, I haven't even talked about it a lot. Look, if a candidate wants to come on my show, they're certainly welcome. I'll, I'll, I'll feel free to promote a patriot. But it's a waste of time. I've arrived at this conclusion that the Republican Party is irremediably broken, not from this like, you know, hyperbole or exasperation, but from from 15 years of hard work where I've tried everything. I was involved in so many primaries. It doesn't work. Because what they do is the, the, the donors and the party infrastructure is against you. You can't win against that. You need money to get out your, your name, to get name recognition. All the industries give them the money. Now, there would be a way through this if they were honest. And they would run ads that reflected the values of the money from which they got that, those ads. Hey, we need undocumented labor. Hey, um, you know, we need a BLM agenda. Hey, you know, I'm going to talk about fiscal conservatism, but I'm going to vote for every trillion dollar bailout and bill. No, they run on our values. And they often actually accuse our guys of being liberals. This is happening now in Tennessee with this Bill Haggerty, a Romney Jeb Bush guy, typical Lamar Alexander, Bob Corker, Haslam type of clown, Billy, 
the cesspool of, of Rockefeller rhinos out of Tennessee. He's he's part of that. Trump, of course, endorses him. You have Manny Seth. He was endorsed by Cruz. I can't vouch for him yet. I, I don't know enough, but he's certainly better than Haggerty. He's challenging Fauci. He's at least, you know, I mean, how many candidates are even talking about our position on the virus? Huh. Name me a Republican candidate that is speaking as emphatically on our side of the virus as the left is speaking on their side. Name me a candidate that's speaking as emphatically against the BLM, BLM racist, anti-Semitic, Marxist agenda and the breakdown of law enforcement as strongly as the Democrats are promoting it. In fact, most Republicans support criminal justice reform. You know, a lot of people, when I asked this question last night, they were like, well, John James is good in Michigan. Really, why is he good? I think there's a certain reason people think he's good. And it's not, it doesn't come from a good place. He supports all this garbage. His campaign reached out to me in his primary two years ago, and then once it came for the general election, didn't want to come on the show anymore. I'm just telling you how many candidates are running against judicial supremacy. Against these market distortions, the crushing debt, sovereignty, our position on immigration, our position on values. Name me one. You don't hear it. And it's so easy these days. It's this complete degree of paralysis. Because you can't get money if you don't. That's what people don't understand. So these guys run as conservatives. And then there's another very subtle point. They manipulate this electability argument. The reason why Kobach lost is because he lost before. And the reason he lost in a general election for governor last time. The reason he lost before is because they made him toxic. If you have both party apparatuses saying someone's a racist, they can't win. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy because our voters, which is almost all Republican voters, agree with us. And precisely because they agree with us, they're terrified of the Democrats. Now, this is what we have to yank them free of. It's not that they don't share our values. It's that they make this strategic mistake that Republicans still have. There's still value to electing Republicans over Democrats when, in fact, it's often worse. So you have these rhinos that say, hey, do you want a Democrat to win? Ironically, they don't care about Democrats winning. They empower them even when they win. They give them all of the power. They vote for all their stuff. But they manipulate that. So that's what loomed very large. Our voters are like, no, I'm scared. I want Democrats. It's not that they like, I think I think Chris Kobach is too anti-immigrant. I like Bob, like Marshall, because Marshall will import the big eggs. No, they don't run on that. They literally would lie. They would accuse our candidates of supporting bailouts. I know Haggerty is running ads against Manny Sethi saying he's he's a liberal. That's what they do. So if, if their guy wins the primary, Republican voters who agree with us, they'll always circle the wagons, whatever piece of crap gets the nomination. Whereas... If, Rep- if our guy wins the nomination, the entire party infrastructure will sabotage the guy in the general election. So it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. But here's where this whole thing about Trump not endorsing Kobach and all this thing about electability falls apart. 
Let's travel down to Arizona. There was a notional candidate, Daniel McCarthy. God bless him for trying to challenge McCarthy. Uh, McSally barely had any money. McSally is just like Kobach. She lost, and, and she didn't just lose a governor's race. She lost a Senate race, which usually falls more along ideological lines. And Republicans just handed her the vacancy of the second seat to run for it again. So this whole electability argument is nonsense. She's getting crushed by Mark Kelly. There's no way someone like that without a narrative could win. She's horrible. But Trump endorsed her. So don't tell me Trump is worried about electability. That's nonsense. What happened in Arizona exposes the lie of what happened in Kansas. It's about the rhinos winning all the time, every time. It's about the industries getting their guy all the time, every time. That's the story. You know, I was speaking yesterday with my buddy, a state legislator from Ohio, Dayton, Ohio area, Jim Butler. We've had him on the show a couple years ago when we talked about healthcare. This man is a one-man healthcare think tank. Very out-of-the-box, innovative policy mind. He's introduced so many good bills in Ohio to break the back of the healthcare insurance cartel, destroying our healthcare, and by the way, very instrumental behind the panic porn now. And, you know, I was we're, we're lamenting DeWino and, and how Ohio is one of the states where, again, the voters are with us. The voters are, are redder than ever. That, that's one of the states that's trending more red than almost any other state. People are done with the Democrats there. And yet the Republican elected officials are worse than, than anywhere there. They're literally like Democrats, indistinguishable. So this rhino corrupt piece of garbage speaker gets indicted. So they need a new speaker. Butler runs for speaker because he was speaker pro temp. And he lost by one vote because DeWino got his rhino in there. And we were talking last night about, you know, I said, you, you should run for governor one day. And he said, yeah, right. You can't win without money. And this is what I want you guys to understand. See, there, there's like these thumb-sucking pseudo-conservative intelligence. He's like, well, Daniel, I understand your gripe with the party, but the way to do it is not with people like Hoback. He's a dartbag. You need a smart, sensible conservatives. Well, the problem with the smart, sensitive conservatives is that, you see, if they really are smart, um, uh, you know, and 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 they are they do have good values and good ideas. Guess what? They're against the industries. Guess what? The industries will sandbag them just as much as Kobach. A guy like Butler is exactly the profile of someone they would like. Now, I, I think Butler agrees with me on immigration on their issues too. But his main thing is you know healthcare policy. The healthcare cartel would crush him. So until you build your own apparatus outside of their haunted house and attack them outside in rather than walking into their haunted house ambush, you can't win. I don't understand how many times you need to be thrown out of this party to realize you have no place in it. And anyway, I would rather dung without the sprinkles on top than with the sprinkles on top. All the Republican Party is 
All it serves as are the sprinkles on top of the fecal matter to make it palatable. See, without them, the American people intuitively understand there's two sides to the story. All right, they're doing BLM. They're doing lockdown. What's your side? Oh, well, I don't like the Democrats, but, you know, they're kind of right with lockdown. They're, they're kind of right with BLM. They're kind of right with uh, LGQTC agenda. So then what, what it does is it marginalizes us. And then, and then we have nowhere to turn. All the while, Republicans serve as a lightning rod to then get blamed for everything the Democrats do. Aren't you sick of the grand old perfidy party? I've had enough of it. Look at what they're doing now. After four months of governors, you know, Cuomo is now putting out in New York City on the bridges police to, to, to like, I don't know what they're going to do. Take people's information with the quarantine it is 100% unconstitutional, even under the Articles of Confederation. You have fascism. You have results that don't work. We're going to talk about this. No matter what they do, it doesn't work. They kill more people. They destroy the economy, destroy mental health. They drag out herd immunity. This is insane. And yet Republicans, we talked about their crazy bill last week. Now they're negotiating it. Their starting point was a trillion dollars, another $110 billion for the education cartel as a reward for what they're doing. A slush fund for governors to use however they want. More unemployment benefits, more funding the shutdown rather than defunding the shutdown and defunding BLM and defunding. I mean, you have all these stories now of people let out of jail, gang members, this guy in New York who was, you know, shooting people. He was let out of jail. Now he's responsible for three drive-by shootings. It happens again and again. But I've seen cases in Austin as well, in Texas. There's no such thing as a red state. This is happening everywhere. When are we going to wake up? So they started negotiations there, and now we always knew. But they said, well, we're not going to give quite the same level of unemployment. And now Chuck Schumer said, this Washington Times, Chuck Schumer, GOP is moving in the Democrats' direction. The negotiations are, are moving forward bit by bit. And he said that they're coming more in their direction. At least they are understanding the needs here. We need real help for people losing their jobs, for renters being kicked out of their houses. They're being kicked out because of the damn shutdown. And the shutdown. Republicans started the discussion on the premise of the left, presupposing their severity of the virus, presupposing that their strategy works. And it's just a question of how much money we're going to fund the insidious, unconstitutional, illogical, immoral shutdown. And mass mandates. Rather than saying, no, the reason people are suffering is because your policies suck. We're going to come with an entire different direction of shield and stratify. Achieve herd immunity with healthier people as we always did. Get, get it done with quicker. Anyone, any state who wants to do this garbage, fine. But you're on your own. You get no funding. Brought in the discussion to the anarchy, to the crime. To the corona jailbreak, releasing over 100,000 criminals, career criminals, while arresting business owners and then complaining that businesses have no money. And then at the same time, oh, you know, yeah, 
We're going to pay you to keep people on payroll. Oh, but then we're going to pay people even more money for unemployment. Working against each other. How hard is it to do that? But here we go. We have Mnuchin negotiating. Mark Meadows is just proving worthless. Here we are. There is no difference between the parties. How much longer are we going to keep this dead grass on the ground which serves no purpose other than preventing us from replanting. I don't know. It's like they've sunk their teeth into this, into the GOP, and and, and so many of our people just can't get it out of their system. I don't know. I don't know what more to do. But that's the state of play there. But anyway, I want to switch gears a little bit, and it's not so much switching gears. I want to talk about some of the latest news on the virus and putting it in perspective and what we're up against. But it really isn't switching gears because this is what a alternative opposing party would talk about, especially if they're not really so much of an opposing party. They're officially in the White House. These are some of the points they would make. So it's a little bit tough for me. I have a bad sore throat. It's like clockwork. My kid got it because he went to this little camp for a week, just a week. And he's been away from kids for four months. And this is going to happen a lot. Again, not that it's uncommon. I mean, I usually don't go for longer than this period of time without a cold. I usually get one every few months or so. Um, But this is the annoying one where you got the 24 hours of the sore throat before and then, you know, it's like does the whole thing and the dripping and the stuffiness and each stage a full week. My wife is just getting out of it. My son already did. So I'm the third one to get this. I know some people are like, oh, you have COVID. No, I mean, look, anything could be COVID theoretically, but it's, you know, I don't have the cough, the fever, the loss of taste and smell. It's only the the cold like nasal stuff after the sore throat goes away. So, I mean, it's it's very unlikely. But the point is that this is now the new threshold. See, you can't miss Ebola. You can't miss smallpox. But this, we're treating like, we're, we're treating every case like stage four, stage five pancreatic cancer. That's what we're doing in this country. Imagine if we did that with, with any disease. The country would be destroyed. Well, that's what we're doing. We're destroying our country. And I want to demonstrate just some of the insanity. See, typically it's it's symptoms, it's facts on the ground driving a diagnosis. Here we have a PCR test discovering asymptomatic, mildly symptomatic, and then treating that positive, which is often false, or if it's not false, it's just not a big deal. We're treating it like you know the 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 top point one percent that are very serious in in the in the cohort that has a shot immune system and gets it very seriously with a high viral load. And could you begin to imagine what's going to happen? You have all these kids. Forget about the mask wearing, which is just utterly insane. But you have all these kids now that have been away from each other. And look, kids are germ factories. Kids get stuff when they're together. It's not a bug, no pun intended. It's a feature. We talked about this. This is God's system. 
And we now recognize the beauty of that gradual immune system built up, which now seems to have made them fortified against things like SARS-CoV-2. But on the other hand, it makes it that they more often do have a bunch of mild ailments. If you if you randomly survey kids at a given time, they have runny noses and sore throats more often than adults, and they have fevers more often than adults. Okay? And you look at a given school, it's like now the expectation is that I need to have a school year, the entire school, with nobody getting a cold or a fever, or even a, or you know, much less a flu. Like that's insane. I mean, every year you have good, you have bad periods, but even even in not the the periods that aren't like typically peak flu season in January, you know, every every week there's one kid that's got something. Sometimes it spreads more than others. My son had a best friend last year that had three weeks of unrelenting fever. I mean, that's pretty bad. That that that's. I'm saying if you look at the symptoms, that that's higher than, you know, 99%, 99.5% of all COVID cases and 99.9% of all COVID cases in kids in terms of symptomatic. That's that's pretty serious. I don't think they ever dreamt of taking him to the ER. You know, they took him to a specialist eventually after the pediatrician. They, to this day, they don't know what it was. Tested negative for the flu, negative for strep, negative for mono. They, they get stuff. And that, that was a more serious thing. Re- unrelenting fever for three weeks. Kids get stuff. But what we're doing is we're not having a reality on the ground. The reality on the ground was like Brooklyn, Queens, New York in March. There were a significant number of people that had trouble breathing. They were getting a serious case of that. So that, that, that was a problem. But as we've seen, we don't we, we've never really had that elsewhere. Even at the peak of Texas and Florida and Arizona, which is now down, if you take the border factor especially out of it, per capita, not that many people got it. Certainly more than what the, the, the stress on the hospitals in the 2018 flu season. But yet, it's a circuitous cycle. We test, we find more, we treat it like the stage 5 pancreatic cancer, we quarantine, contact trace, isolate everyone, and then shoot their immune systems even more. Then, you know, people get stuff. Often it's not even that. The, you know, at some point I have to go into this, but the PCR testing, there's um, there's a New York Times article on this in 2006. There was this, uh, they thought it was whooping cough in New York that passed around the hospitals, and it turned out they, they had this PCR test for it, and it had a 100% false positive rate, 100%. It was all made up. It wasn't whooping cough. And luckily they caught it. Now, I'm not saying this is 100% made up. It certainly isn't. But that th- this is why once we set this degree of threshold for panic and for taking over our lives, it's never going to go away on its own unless you and I grab back that power. Because even if the IFR is down to close to zero, as long as you have a case, which is going to be very easy to get, with a million tests per day and they want to get to four million... It's utterly insane. How do you run a school like that? Again, it's most likely they're going to get more colds than usual because kids have been away from each other. Just think about, I want, I want you guys to understand this perspective a little bit. Right now, there is no epidemic going on. I mean, that is clear. Now, it could flare up. I'm not saying this is over with. 
It's hard to know which parts of the country got 15 to 20%. But in terms of an epidemic, it's over with. The epidemic level, which really was only an epidemic in a couple of places for a certain period of time, is over with. An epidemic is not defined by anyone getting a cold to flu-like symptom of a disease where 90, you know, 70% get asymptomatic, 95% get asymptomatic or mildly asymptomatic. Most of the remaining 5% get no more than a flu with maybe a loss of taste and smell. And it's a small percentage that, you know, you just got to have the right treatment. And that's a whole nother thing with obviously their war on HCQ. And that's the best you can do. Some of them will die like they die of the flu, like they die of other pneumonias because it's their time to die based on the median age. Just to give you a little bit of perspective into some of this, if you want to look at the hospitalization rate in a typical year, Kyle Lamb, we had him on the show yesterday, a brilliant data cruncher. Um, if you didn't hear the show, make sure you listen to Tuesday's show. But he noted that the lab-confirmed hospitalization rate per 100,000 people of the flu in the 2018 season was 102 per 100,000. This is 130 per 100,000. Okay, it's, it's not that much more. And again... The point Kyle is making, it might not be more at all than the 2018 flu season because we're testing more people in one day than we tested the entire season. So to say there was 105, you know, um, per 100,000 hospitalization rate is not really accurate because if you factor in the testing plus a certain extent the false positives now, it's probably close to parity. Just to give you some perspective on the hospitalization rate, we talk a lot about the death rate. But that's why it's the hospitals, their surge room is not more stressed than they were during 2018. Really isn't. That's the thing. And outside of New York and outside of the nursing home, malfeasance committed by the very panic porn propagators and because of the panic porn because they were scared they wouldn't have enough hospital room you take that out of the equation you look at the real excess deaths is it really that much different certainly less than uh, less among kids what are we going to do with the upcoming flu season everyone snoozed through the flu season including the 2018 pandemic flu now, even a mild flu season, even if it's the most mild flu season we've had in 15 years, you are going to have people who die from it. You are going to have people who get pneumonia. You are going to have people who go to the hospital. You are going to have kids who get seriously sick from the flu and spread it too, by the way, much more than COVID. What are we going to do with that now? You can't run a society like that. You kill more people with the isolation, the suicide, the drug deaths, the missed cancer diagnosis. I mean, do you understand what these bastards have done? A new study found that the mean weekly number of newly diagnosed cancer patients plunged 46.4% for six types of cancer, breast cancer, colorectal, lung, gastric, pancreatic, and esophageal. 
51.8% drop in breast cancer diagnosis. Let me tell you something. Cancer didn't go away. (laughs) Okay? That means we are going to have more people that get a later diagnosis. And the difference between stage 3 and stage 4 is really the difference between life and death with many of these cancers. Again, King David, I'd rather fall in the hands of God because his mercy is great than fall in the hands of man. A man-made plague versus a God-made plague. See, God's plague has a lot of mercy in it. It's a problem. It was an epidemic for a certain period of time. It's going to linger on some level for a period of time. But it has a lot of mercy in mixed with it. Most are asymptomatic. We know who this targets, so we can more easily target a quarantine, expedite the herd immunity, focus on treatment. Really, most people who died, really, it was within the last few months of their life, which, again, every day is precious, but that's that's different than other pandemics that we've had in the past. But a man-made plague, again, the years of life lost when you take out $2.3 trillion from an economy, the isolation, the depression. I've heard heart-rending stories among in, in, in these nursing homes with husbands and wives that never got to see each other. You can't do that. Even in nursing homes, COVID is dangerous. But atrophy is a death sentence. That's a hundred percent fatality rate. They will, if they're old, they will waste away from that. You can't go even in nursing homes where you have to be more careful. But lockdown is kind of a a loaded term. I mean, you do have to have a, a procedure for having one designated family member to test and and be with them. You can't do this. You can't treat. A respiratory virus that spreads like the flu, albeit 95% don't really get something on the level of even a flu, like stage 4 pancreatic cancer. You just can't do that. And here's the thing. It doesn't work, meaning there's two issues here. There's It doesn't rise to the threshold anywhere near the way they're treating it, but number two is it doesn't work anyway what they're doing. We see this over and over again. I want to get to that in a minute. But one more point. Someone sent this to me, one of, one of the listeners. We're talking about the kids in schools. I thought this was fascinating. Forgetting where this was, which state it was in. This is from the sentinelsource.com. Maple Avenue preschool community member tests negative for COVID-19. So now it's a headline news that Someone tested negative at a preschool. Person connected with the Maple Avenue preschool run by the Keene Family YMCA, who showed possible symptoms of COVID-19 earlier this week, has tested negative for the novel coronavirus, according to the Keene's uh, CEO, Dan Smith. Smith declined to identify the individual as a staff member or a student at Maple Ave Preschool to protect the individual's privacy. He added that the person will need to receive a second negative test before the school can reopen its doors. Folks, this is this is what we're going to do now. I mean, anytime someone has a cold, anytime anything, you have to get tested twice, and even if you're negative, that's going to be news. You can't run a society like this. At some point, you can't treat this like 
stage five pancreatic cancer that you absolutely don't want to get and feel like you can't get or, or it's a death sentence. You have to face the reality of what this is and what this isn't. Otherwise, you're going to kill an entire generation of people. I want, I want you to, I want to bring this out very dramatically. In the most dramatic fashion. How A, this stuff doesn't work, and B, it kills more people, even if it would save people, but it doesn't save people, from the Philippines. The Philippines holds the distinction of the harshest and longest lockdown in the world. And it holds the distinction of the most ubiquitous mask-wearing compliance in the world. New York Times has a chart out. It's from the Imperial College of London. They did a survey. It's near 100% compliance. The AP wrote an article yesterday, an op-ed that was dressed up as a news story. It literally, I thought, I thought it was an op-ed, and I looked at it, I saw it was an AP article. I mean, it literally was written the way I write my columns, and you know, everyone knows where I'm coming from. And they basically said that many Americans have resisted wearing masks and social distancing, which resulted in more viral spread. Public health experts, they don't say who, say the problem has been compounded by confusing and inconsistent guidance from politicians and a patchwork quilt of approaches to containing the Scrooge by county, state, and federal government. So there's so many lies embedded in there. So that people aren't complying, it's not true. They're complying almost anywhere. I mean, the few places you're not going to see it are very rural places that don't really have much of a problem. But in all the big areas hit, you have 100% compliance. But anyway, they keep peddling this notion that lockdowns and mask wearing stops it. Like, somehow the virus, like, hides. So, I got news for AP. So, what, what, what are they pushing? They want a serious lockdown. They want serious mask wearing, as if somehow this isn't serious enough. Let me present to you the Philippines. March 15th, which was before almost anyone did this, under the direction of President Rodrigo Duterte, anyone under 21 or over 60 was never allowed out of their house. Other people in between that age bracket, one member of a family member could go and get food or medicine and that's it. And then even that, there was just a blanket curfew of everyone for everything from 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. Some of you might remember Duderte actually publicly threatened to have anyone shot who doesn't comply. They also have the highest compliance with masks. They had their full house arrest until June 1st, but many municipalities had it till July. And guess what? Well, you would expect that, oh, the virus is, oh, they did a good job. No, the virus does what the virus does. Philippines is very far south, just like Israel and Hawaii. It was bound to come there, and it came there. Their cases have tripled in the last 10 days or so. Now, again, mind you, only 2,000 people have died in a country of over 100 million people. They likely have that cross-immunity like most Asian countries seem to have. But we were told that you got to stop the spread. You can't do more than what they did in the Philippines. Yet, it's spreading. Oh, well, Daniel, well, uh, well that's because they ended the lockdown. Well, first of all, 
they're dying of hunger and other medical missed medical care too. Like everything we're having in this country, it's times a million in that country. God knows how many hundreds of thousands of people have died from, I mean, they, they typically have a hunger problem there. Remember only 2000 people died of COVID. This, this is the joke. Moreover, they're all wearing masks. I thought that helps. Oh, whoops, I guess it doesn't. See, I mean, this is the stuff you won't hear elsewhere. This is the stuff that these phony doctors won't talk about. Because this is not about medicine. It's about opening your damn eyes to what's going on in the world. We now have four months worth of observations. And again, the only other way out of this is to say, well, Daniel, well, well, lockdowns work while you're locking down, but if you get out, well, how can you lock down forever? Well, don't worry, this will be a vaccine. But this is my first column today that no, Washington Post, CNN, Business Insider, they now have all these articles. No, 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 no. It's not going to work for everyone, especially the most vulnerable people, which is the people that it really is dangerous for. It's going to take a while. You're going to need multiple booster shots. See, this is the big lie. There is no end game. There is no strategy to dealing with a respiratory virus like Ebola, like smallpox. There is no strategy to dealing with a pandemic flu like this other than achieving herd immunity as quickly as possible with the least vulnerable so eventually you could bring out the less vulnerable and that's it like Sweden did. That is the only course of action. There is no scientific outcome of what they are doing because it's not about science. It's about control. As absurd as it was to say we're going to lock down for something that is this low of an IFR and this heterogeneous in who it attacks in a serious way until this vaccine was, was absurd enough. But now they're revealing, no, CNN has a whole article out today. You could Google it. Obese people, it won't work for because hepatitis, the flu, rabies, some other shots don't seem to work for obese. Dude, obesity is the whole enchilada. That's like the biggest risk factor. If you don't protect them, there's really no use of it. It's a joke. That's the single biggest thing. This is an utter joke. Get out of that boiling pot of water, you frogs. Jump out before it's too late. Before you get acclimated to the new normal. It's about power and control. This is exactly what D.A. Henderson, the great eradicator of smallpox, the dean of John, Johns Hopkins School of Public Health, said in 2006, experience has shown that communities faced with epidemics or other adverse events respond best and with the least anxiety when the normal social functioning of the community is least disrupted. See, think about it in the Philippines now. Now you have a destitute, hungered, impoverished society that is dealing with a, you know, catching up from all the untreated healthcare that now has to face the epidemic because you're going to face it at, at some point. Are you going to face it from a position of strength like Sweden did? Or are you going to face it from a position of you know, being destitute and, and impoverished like the Philippines did? That's the choice. And are you going to kill so many more people as a result of a man-made plague? Because again, with a God-made plague, 
There are times when God takes people early, but for the most part, it is their time to go. That's what we're seeing in most places. Whereas when you do a man-made plague, the suicides, the drug abuse, these are people with many, many more years to live. This is what's missing. This is the context that is missing from our lives. This is the counter-narrative that Republicans refuse to provide. We are our best advocates. We are our only advocates. Again, if you want to use the Republican Party for ballot access until we could come up with a long-term solution, fine. But we got to focus on sheriffs. we got to focus on county commissioners, county executive races, school board. Block by block, county by county. We need to find one last refuge of civil and religious liberty and pure old common sense. Make sure to go to wethepeopleholsters.com forward slash CR. Issue promo code CR to get your We The People holster. $10 off, free shipping. Make sure you guys are armed with the right holster. And make sure you stay knowledgeable. (laughs) 